Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and whatever it is. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting, exciting episode of Fanholes Comics, motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up guys, this is Derek, Derek WC, I'm going to be one of your genetically enhanced folks on the show tonight, and joining me tonight are two of my fellow Homo Superior. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? I am uh, Mike, and uh, to save Justin's life, I'm going to shoot him into the future. <laughs> and I am the Uncanny Justin. He's got pouches and all kinds of big guns. Yeah. Well, he just said he was. He just said he was. He was feeling sick. So I mean, the only obviously the only logical course is to to send you know, him bundle him into up the far and shoot future. him into the future. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what that's what we all do. But you know, the problem is like I'll have a metal arm, but it'll keep switching sides because I'll forget. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know which which arm is Justin's metal arm. I've never known. <laughs> So yeah, we're talking about some some X Men comics tonight, and uh, I guess as as Mike has cleverly put it, we're doing this in honor of Sansa Stark's crappy doe faced acting, or we're doing this in honor of X Men Dark Phoenix, and you know it, it has an official release date, so conceivably this won't be like our you know breaking the fourth wall, our our New Mutants tie in episode, which I think, what has it been like a year since we've recorded that? Like, I don't know if it'll ever, <laughs> ever see the light of day. Odds are this will see the light of day before that does. So we are doing a tie in to X Men Dark Phoenix, the film. So conceivably, you know, as you're watching X Men Dark Phoenix or, or, you know, as it's leading up to that, you will be listening to this podcast. But yeah, what we, we're doing tonight is we've each selected some X-Men stories from the spinner rack. So we're going to read some of those. And I guess it, it's going to start with me. And as Justin is fond of saying, I'm a dirty, dirty cheater. So I brought X-Factor issue number 32. But, you know, my defense is these are the original X-Men, so it still counts. So... X-Factor 32, the cover date was September 1988. The on-sale date was May 31st, 1988. The cover price was a whopping $1. And the credits, Tom DeFalco was a plotter. Louise Wheezy Simonson, who I had to play. Actually, I, I, I met both Tom DeFalco and Wheezy at 
Baltimore Comic Con, and Louise Simonson is the scripter. The artist is Steve Lytle, and the title is The Carbon Copy Avengers. And I guess without further ado, I'll go into a brief synopsis of the comic book. The Avengers are at the scene of their former headquarters as part of a ceremony, donating it to the city as a new park. Witnessing the events are members of the alien Zartan race, who have come to shake hands with the Avengers on site so they can get templates of their forms and abilities. Teleported back to their ship high above the Earth, the Zartans transform into carbon copies of the Avengers. Their leader, Lord Zano, plans to send them to Earth, posing as the Avengers for revenge against Thor for his previous defeat of the Zartans. They are about to attack the Avengers' Hydrobase headquarters when their sensors detect another spaceship on the Earth's surface. The spaceship, named Ship, happens to be the headquarters for X-Factor, and is currently hovering over the Atlantic Ocean. Inside the ship, Iceman, Cyclops, and Marvel Girl watch over the unconscious Beast, who has been comatose since his encounter with the evil mutant Infecta. Ship's prognosis is not good. Hank is in rough shape, and he might die. However, Ship notes that the virus that the Horseman Pestilence infected him with actually is counteracting the effects of Infecta's kiss, and that is the only thing that is still keeping him alive. The observations are interrupted by the arrival of the Thor copy, who bursts through the hull of their ship and plants some kind of device which teleports the other Avenger copycats inside the mutants-only starship. Scott, Jean, and Bobby decide to investigate this intrusion. Elsewhere on the ship, Boom Boom is upset because one of her fellow mutants has been using her Crippled Puppies album as a pizza tray and demands answers. Rusty and the others are sullen and tell her the bad news, that the members of X-Factor have been considering sending the children to boarding school, and that the deadline for the Mutant Registration Act is just two days away. Undaunted by this, Tabitha suggests that all they need to do is convince X-Factor that sending them to boarding school is a bad idea. Just then, they are sealed in the room by Ship, who tells them that X-Factor ordered him to keep them safe while they're investigating the supposed arrival of Thor. When X-Factor confronts the copycat Thor, they are attacked by the rest of the copycat Avengers, who intend to use their ship to begin their invasion of Earth. X-Factor are confused by this, and caught off guard by this seemingly unprovoked attack from the Avengers. Meanwhile, the children watch the battle from a monitor in their room, and Artie's power allows him to point out that X-Factor is not fighting the really-for-reals Avengers. When Ship refuses to let the children out, per Cyclops' orders, Boom Boom uses one of her time bombs to blow the door open so that they can go and help their mentors. As the battle between X-Factor and the copycat Avengers rages on, Lord Xan watches from the shadows and takes on a monstrous form and joins the battle to ensure X-Factor's defeat. Meanwhile, the children break their way into the infirmary where they find Hank in a coma and try to convince Ship to let them help. 
Meanwhile, Xano turns the tide of the battle in the Zartan's favor because he is immune to X-Factor's mutant powers. When Ship tells them this, the children point out that the creature adapted to X-Factor's powers, but not their own, and they can launch a surprise attack. Ship finally concedes and allows the children to enter the fray. They join just at the right time as Cyclops' visor is smashed by the copycat She-Hulk. Leech powers down Lord Zano and saves Jean Grey. Richter's ground-shaking puts the KO She-Hulk off balance so Iceman can knock her out with an ice blast, and then he watches her turn back into her Zartan form. The copycat Dr. Druid, lame as the original, gets taken out by Artie, projecting an image of Dr. Strange to which he goes all adur, which confuses him long enough for Jean Grey to knock him out with a telekinetic blast that throws a piece of machinery at the alien's head. Skids and Rusty take down the faux Black Knight, and Boom Boom takes down the phony Thor with a powerful time bomb she attaches to his hammer upon its return to his person. Meanwhile, in Boston, deep below the headquarters of the right, a cloaked man, which turns out to be Cameron Hodge, uses arcane means to summon Naster, a demon, or I guess, I, I don't know, like, I guess it's Naster, <laughs> a demon from Limbo. In exchange for immortality, he will tell the demon the location of powerful mutants that his organization has been able to track so that Naster can use them for his mystical rituals. Back at X-Factor's headquarters, Ship has put the Zartans in space in stasis. Meanwhile, Tabitha brags about how she played an important role in defeating them, especially Thor. Scott and Jean watch over their charges and consider that following the second attack on their ship in so many days, that one of Xavier's biggest failings with them was isolating them from children their own age, and that they will not make the same mistake with their own kids and charges. And that pretty much is the end of X-Factor 32. Just real quick, this was a... I, I, I think it was a quick stop Spinner Rack comic book. Like, I, I know, it, it, for me, like, this is... It's, it's weird because we're kind of going in reverse as far as the podcast goes. But, like, X-Factor 32 led to Avengers 297, which we covered on the Avengers episode. And it's like, and this... Like, if I go back from X-Factor 32, like, that was, like, Amazing Spider-Man 282 and Incredible Hulk 336. So, like, things led to other things. So it was, like, that, that kind of thing where it's like, oh, and, and then probably the, the main thing that attracted me, I think, to X-Factor in the first place was because I recognized Iceman from Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends. So, like, th those were the kind of key factors in, like, why I would buy this. And then, you know, not for nothing, but the cover by Steve Lytle is outstanding. Like, it's yeah. a super, super awesome cover. Like, the Avengers, even as, as kind of a Morty configuration of Avengers as this is, like, the Avengers look super cool. Like, X-Factor looks super cool. And, you know, I guess, and we'll probably get into this more with, with Justin and, and Mike's comics, but, I mean, I was kind of peer pressured to read the Uncanny X-Men comic book, but, like, I think I was more into X-Factor. Like, I liked Cyclops, I liked the original X-Men, and then, you know, again, the same thing with the the mention of Iceman. Like, I knew Iceman from his amazing friends, so it was a familiar face. I kind of gravitated towards that. And, you know, I did read earlier issues of X-Factor before this, but I think this was the first issue I picked up with my own money. 
So it was like, I, I remember reading X Factor 31, but that might have been something that I read either from a friend or maybe like they used to have comic books at the Union City Library. So like that's how I got introduced to some comics like that, that Hulk 336 where X Factor was a guest star. So like that's kind of how I came to this. Again, the, the interior art is the same as the cover art. You know, Steve Lytle's probably... I, I guess for DC fans, he's probably most famous for being a Legion of Superheroes artist, and, and he was often, even when he wasn't doing the interior art, he was often a cover artist. I, I kind of think he comes from the school of, like, kind of like how John Byrne was influenced by Neil Adams, and it, it kind of has that sense of realism to it in a way, or at least hyper-detailedness. It's kind of like a fusion of Perez and Adams somehow, you know, like it's, it's, it's something that like, you feel like when he draws characters, like they look, the, the character design looks like it's supposed to, and everybody looks dynamic and kind of, you, you just feel like there's a lot of detail. Like I, I, I think Steve Lytles is one of those artists where I don't think I would ever try to swipe from Steve Lytle. Like he's so good. You know what I mean? Like, like, I don't think I, you know, it was was like one of those things, like even as a kid, I don't think I ever tried that because I was like, Oh, this guy's too good. Like you can't, can't swipe from this guy. Like, cause he's, you couldn't even hope to replicate it. You know, like it's, it's that good type thing. I think for, for other fans of Marvel, I mean, I guess I, I, I would say like beyond the Legion in DC, like he did that, first run of doom patrol in the the late eighties. Like he did the first couple issues of that. And, but I I'd say mostly he's famous for Legion of superheroes. And then like for Marvel comics, I mean, like, you know, it's funny. He did the cover to that, that Thunderbolts, you know, the Marvel team up thing that we just read with the Thunderbolts and Spider-Man. But you know, like I think most people would probably know him as a cover artist for classic X-Men because at some point, like once Art Adams wasn't doing like some of those covers and things like that, like the the one that I think of is like there's that one where they, they uh, reprint the arcade issues from the Claremont Burn Run and there's a pretty cool cover like Wolverine where he's got like the Hulk animatronic robot and the claws or you know, the, basically it's a de- ta- decapitated Hulk head and everything. I think that's like classic X-Men issue 30, but like he did a bunch of covers for classic X-Men, like during its kind of heyday or whatever. So, and then, you know, like I've, I've always kind of liked, I mean, Louis Simonson was pretty much writing X-Factor. I mean, not, not from the very, very beginning, but I mean, I, I'd say she has a decent amount of ownership on these characters and, and wrote them for a long time and kind of understands all the voices. Like, she's dealing with, like, a large cast of characters. It's, like, not only the original X-Men, but the, the X-Terminator kids, I'm just going to call them, because that's eventually, like, the miniseries that kind of collects them all into a team on their own and everything during Inferno. And I guess it is worth mentioning, like, this is kind of a Inferno prequel, you know, or or you know, kind of on the road to Inferno or whatever. Like, we're, we're almost there. There's, like, just in, like, a couple more months, you'll be, you know, smack dab into Inferno, which is, like, one of my favorite crossovers, you know, and, and X-Men stories, period, just because it, it, it kind of hits my sweet spot when I was actually kind of super into reading X-Men and X-Factor and all that stuff. But, I mean, as to the issue itself, like, it is a done-in-one. I mean, it doesn't require you to know a whole hell of a lot to, to get involved in it. it. You know, it's written well enough that you can kind of pick up what's going on. They don't leave you in the lurch. There's not a lot of asterisks, but I mean, I guess they don't expect you to go out and buy like old issues of Journey into Mystery to catch up on 
you know, Lord Xano and the Zartans or anything like that. But, you know, I, I think, you know, I guess I, I have sentimentality towards it, so I, I could see why this might be a nostalgia pick for me, but I think the art still holds up. It's still outstanding. And the story is good. You know, like it's, it's well done. It's clearly told. And, and, you know, maybe, you know, I guess you could argue to a newcomer, it might be daunting to be introduced to all the characters that are involved, you know, like the, the four original X-Men and then like all the kids and everything and the four Avengers, like that might be kind of a daunting thing to, to a new reader, but I, I don't think it was that daunting to me. I kind of picked up what was going on and stuff like that. I think, I think maybe like if if I had to like psychoanalyze myself and and this you know may uh, risk the ire of Justin, but like I think maybe this might have colored my interpretation of Thor too. Like Thor wasn't, I mean, it was just a clone, but like I'm like boom boom defeated Thor. So like, I, I don't know that I had the level of respect that I should have for a character like Thor, you know? Not so Thor. yeah, I know, I know it's not Thor. That's, that's the argument. Right. But, but, but again, the, the counter argument is same, you know, clone disabilities, like, you know, kind of thing. So, but yeah, I guess, I guess the hammer is, is not, uh, is not Asgardian made. So, so you do have that in your defense, but you know, the young me probably subconsciously was impacted by that where I was like, Oh dude, if that crazy chick who hung out with the beyonder and secret wars two can beat up Thor, like how, how tough can he be? You know, like that thing and everything, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I guess I'd kind of open it up to you guys. I mean, I, I have a couple more notes here and there, but I'm kind of curious, like if you guys had read this before or if this is the first time you're reading it and like, kind of like what you're, your thoughts are on this issue. I had never read this before. You know, I was kind of like, you know, poo-pooing you for choosing X Factor, but like, I, I, I've not read a lot of like pre-Peter David X Factor, hmm, which is okay. weird because I, I like the original X Men. Like, I, you know, I really enjoy their adventures and everything, and I like going back and you know reading the sixty stuff. I guess, yeah. But, um, like I, I remember buying the first four issues at like some kind of antique store for pretty cheap, and I liked them. And then, like I remember, I owned those like Apocalypse appearances because oh, he yeah, first yeah, appeared yeah. in yeah. X Factor. And I remember like some stuff was like, is this this is, is this where Iceman has like his little funky belt or whatever? Is yes. This... Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So like I kind of remember that, but like. You know, beyond these fuzzy memories, like, I haven't read a lot of X-Factor. Like, to me, like, I guess this is, like, the difference in me and you again. Like, you know, like, whenever I poo-poo your choice of, like, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, like, right, right, when right. I, when I think X-Factor, I think of, like, that Peter David run, like, when he got took it. over with, got uh, it. you know, 75 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was, like, 71, like, Strong Guy and, and Havoc and Polaris and Wolfsbane yeah. and Madrox and all those guys, yeah, yeah. But yeah, this was uh, this was kind of a treat. Like when I saw the cover, I was like, "Whoa!" Like Cyclops fighting Thor. I was like, "Oh, this is like this should be fun." And you know, like you pointed out, I was like, "That's a really great cover." Yeah, yeah. And well, I'm like, "Okay, these are like clones." And I kind of remember these guys from like Journey into Mystery. Like you said, I was like, "That rings a bell" because there were a lot of like one-off lame-o space saving yeah, of the yeah. week. 
Yeah, you know, you yeah. know what I noticed about that? I was like, I, I, I started having my uh, Harlan Ellison moment because uh, you, you know how like that the the Zartans like they they, 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 turn, into trees. they turn into trees, and yeah. all I could think of is like Justice League. Where I was like, yeah. you stole my idea, <laughs> you know? Like that's that that was one of my notes about that because I was like, I and it's like I don't think I ever read that Journey into Mystery story until like like way you know like when the thor movie came out i was like trying to read thor comics and stuff like the first one from like you know 2011 or whatever like i don't think i ever read that story so again i it, it's funny looking back on these like I, I think i i was saying the same thing about the madcap appearance in daredevil where they didn't point you to his earlier appearances and and in this they do have kind of a you know, quote unquote, you know, Jim Shooter esque, you know, couple panels to fill you in on who these guys are, which is great. But it's like it's it's funny because I was like, oh wow, they they didn't have a, you know, I mean, I don't know what we would have done back then. It's not like any of that journey into mystery stuff was easily accessible or reprinted yeah. anywhere. So it, it, they probably kind of figured, well, if we can't make a buck off of it, there's no reason to do the little asterisk reference so i sort of understand that but it, it's kind of interesting to me because i was like oh i you know i wouldn't have thought you know to me for all i know that could have been a made-up backstory but knowing that this is a marvel comic you you kind of assume like no this is this is legitimate marvel history and and you know even though they're wacky aliens it's probably like larry lieber just you know poaching some justice league stories or whatever for thor or whatever like that that's kind of what you figure it is or whatever the other thing i had to look up and i just confirmed it is crippled puppies is not a real band um, but there's a band called the sick puppies yeah so so i i think it's weird like they were trying to sort of because it's like i think in that room like some stuff in there is fake and then some stuff in it is real because isn't like the is it, 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 culture culture club is real yeah. But then, but then, crippled puppies is not. And then there's something in there. There was like another band in there that's kind of close to a real band, but it's like a little off or something. The the, the thing that made me laugh was like the Alf poster. I kind of chuckled. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You you know what's Remember hilarious Al? actually, dude. You don't you don't know, dude. Like that's like that like because if you look, I, I you know if if you're not just reading like a scan or whatever, like if you look at the ads in the comics, like they have like America's Best Comic ads and stuff, like. Alf, the Star comic, was only on like I think like issue four or something. If you look at it, it's like Alf number one, four dollars, hot. You know, it's like <laughs> Alf. You know, like shit. And then yeah. and then and then the other thing I was looking at in those ads where I'm like, oh, I'm like, I was thinking like Stella from Batgirl to Oracle would probably have a fit, but it's like they they have like the the Prince of Killing Joke, you know, because it was going through all the printings at the time. And it actually, like, it says it like like it's a selling point where it's like a Joker, like, it was like, what did they say? Oh, it was something like Joker Molest, I don't know what it was. It was like Molest Batgirl or like, like, like cripples i don't know what it was but it was like something where you're like wow that's that was the selling point where it was like you know it's like joker abuses batgirl hot like buy it you know or whatever it's just like wow that's awful that's... things happen to your favorite character <laughs> yeah it. yeah yeah buy it now yeah. like and i was just kind of like it, holy kid. crap i was like this is here I'm, I'm like now that i'm thinking about it i'm just gonna because i've got the comic hang on i just want to see exactly what it said because it's cracking me up oh look 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 it's even worse Batman the Killing Joke, 
Batgirl mutilated by the Joker exclamation mark. Oh it's just like that that, that that sounds terrible. Like, it's so bad. But anyway, the um so so the um anyway, so it's so the way got... they put it, it's so like so sorted too. It's like yeah. it's like it's like Batgirl oh boy. Mutilated. Ha! It's like, oh boy. And there's there's like a little ad in the letters column for um for Inferno. It's one of those um it's one of those Walt Simonson drawn Inferno ads. I don't know if you remember them at the time, but usually it had like three characters. So like the X Factor one, it was like Cyclops, and then on his like left is like Jean Grey, and on the right is Maddie, you know, the Goblin Queen or whatever. But they had ones for like New Mutants and X Men and you know the whole nine yards or whatever. But yeah, but that's cool that you. I'm, I'm glad. I mean, I'm kind of glad. Like this is kind of an easy one. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's like a, a sort of you know done in one type thing because it's like those are not those are not really easy to come by with like X Men. I feel yeah. like you know. So, um, but yeah, like I said, this was a fun little treat because I never read it. The only thing I would poo poo is like at one point you call this team of Avengers. Lamos, like I would argue, well, Doctor not... Druid is the only Lamo. Yeah, Doctor Druid's the only Lamo. But I, I just mean, what I'm saying is, this configuration, like, is not the optimum Avengers configuration. Like, like if you took out Doctor Druid and added like Cap and Iron Man and maybe you know Hawkeye or something, then it's like, okay, cool, the Avengers, you know. But like, th- th- this feels like it's just weird because you know it's only the four of them. Yeah. Like, and they were the Avengers. It's like, it's, it, you feel like their ranks are so depleted, but yet everybody's, like, treating them like superstars. And I'm kind of like, dude, nobody thought Dr. Druid was a superstar. This well, is bullshit. I, <laughs> I guess for the sake of the story, since Beast is, like, KO, they only had to, like, have four Avengers show up to fight everyone else. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean, even in the regular Avengers comic, like that, that 297 that I brought, I mean, for a while it was just the four of them, you know? Yeah, that's true. I, I had also never read this before, and much like Justin said, like I I don't have a lot of experience with the original X Factor. Like I, I I probably only read like less than ten issues of it before this. Yeah, like I I kind of have similar thoughts. Like I'm kind of like, oh yeah, it was this Avengers, and then like they watch like a, a news like broadcast where it's like you know Doctor Druid has just been named like chairman of the the Avengers, and I'm like, oh right, that happened. Yeah, it's like, like this is when this is when Doctor Druid like minds on everybody into electing him chairman yeah and like yeah i don't know like i i i get that and like i i thought it was funny when when um they like the kids figure out that they're not the real avengers and then i forgot who it is i think either boom boom or skids is like but wait if they're fakes why aren't the x-men like beating them like why are they still losing like i thought that was pretty funny like but I mean, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it was kind of you know interesting. Like, to, like I, I'm familiar with like things that were happening in the Marvel universe at that time period. But yeah, like I, I'd never read this or read this book in this time period. So it's nice to see what those characters were doing then. Yeah, I really like Steve Lytle's art. Like, I think, I think especially like the girls, like Jean and She Hulk, like are really pretty. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. He, he he draws he very draws really pretty girls. Yeah. yeah, like She Hulk and Jean Grey. Yeah, they definitely look like super super pretty. The the other thing that reminded me of totally an aside is like Steve Lytle did the best 
like Firestorm ever, like for like an extreme justice cover of all things. Like there's there's a cool cover of issue number eight where it's like him and Captain Adam. And like Captain Adam looks okay, but like Firestorm looks freaking awesome. Like that's probably like one of the coolest Firestorm pictures like ever. So yeah, but like he's, yeah, he, like he's like I've known like I know he's drawn a lot of stuff, but he's one of those guys where I was like, why didn't he ever get like super popular? Like like I I feel like yeah, he he draws like Neil Adams or John Byrne, but like I. I feel like he's not like a, you know, uh, you wouldn't like know his, like he's, his name is not well known. Hmm. I, I, I feel like, cause I think like when he was working on Legion in the heyday of like the Baxter series, like that book was up there with Teen Titans and X-Men in terms of popularity. So I think people probably did know him, but I think by this point, maybe that like, it, it seems like, you know how, like, McFarlane was always like, well, you know, why should I do 22 pages when I can just do a cover and make, like, you know, the same amount of money, you know? And it's like McFarlane had his little business model where he'd go off and do, like, a shit ton of covers for, like, Marvel Tales, you know, for the reprint books. And then he'd end up, you know, making more money doing covers than he would doing a book. And, like, I don't know if that was part of Steve Lytle's deal or not, but, I mean, he definitely seemed to become one of those guys where, you know, and, and, you know, I guess this sounds like negative and everything, but in this case, like this issue is not a rope-a-dope. Like he did an awesome cover and he did the interior art, which is also awesome. But there's a lot of comics out there, Extreme Justice, where he did an awesome cover and like the interior art is total crap. Like, do you know what I mean? So it's like, and you feel like you got you got hosed or whatever, or it was like a bait and switch or something like that, where it's like, look at this awesome cover. And then on the inside, it's like the girls don't look pretty like they do on the cover. Right. Like they, or, or, you know, the, the, the dynamism of, of Cyclops fighting Thor is like, just kind of, you know, I pushed him or, you know, like whatever. So, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like it, I mean, I, but I, I sort of see what you're saying. It's like it's not like Wizard was ever like pimping him as like a top ten artist or something like you know. Sawate, my name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Batgirl the Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Batgirl and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spotlight, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not. Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Batgirl Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Batgirl run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Batgirl Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle.
Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. All right, well, I guess that kind of wraps things up for my pick for this X-Men Stories of the Spinner Rack. And I think what we'll do is we're just going in chronological order. So I'm going to turn it over to Justin so he can tell us what issue of X-Men he brought to discuss, and then we'll discuss it. So take it away, man. I brought Uncanny X-Men number 281. It has a cover date of October 1991, and like Derek, a whopping cover price of $1. Jim Lee and Wallace Portacio are credited with the plot, while John Byrne is credited with the script, and Wallace Portacio is credited with the art. And because I was lazy today, I stole this synopsis from the Marvel Wiki. Sentinels attack the Reavers base in Australia. They kill them, but are primarily after Donald Pierce. Meanwhile, the X-Men are invited to a party by Emma Frost. When the X-Men arrive, there are some hostilities between them and the aliens. Soon, however, Trevor Fitzroy attacks, quickly killing Beef and Jetstream. The X-Men then fight him, but find him a match for them. Meanwhile, Pierce runs to Gateway and tells him to teleport him to whoever is responsible for the Sentinels. The portal opens to where the X-Men are, and the Sentinels attack them as well. One kills Taro, another knocks down Emma Frost, Jean Grey is struck down also. When the fight is almost over, the Sentinels destroyed, the X-Men claim that Jean Grey is dead. So it's kind of funny that Derek mentioned he was pressured into reading Uncanny X-Men, because I, I don't know, I kind of feel like I was a little bit. Like, you know when we do the, these shows, I try to find like... You know, my first issue I read or the first one I bought. And I'm pretty sure this is the first issue of Uncanny X-Men I bought with my own money. Mm. I had read previous issues before because, like, a friend from school, like, he had a much older brother. So I can remember, like, reading his issues of, like, you know, when the X-Men had their uh, base in Australia. And I, like, I kind of have, like, memories of those issues. But, like, this was the first one I bought. And I think this is around the time when Jim Lee's X-Men number one was released. So like, it's, it's exactly the same time. Yeah, yeah that's, what I, that's what I was thinking, because this is like the beginning of like the gold team. And like, I remember we were all crazy about that issue. And like, I, I remember reading it at school, like several of my friends had it, but like, I think it was not until a few months later that I had my own issue. But I can remember like going to the Piggly, Piggly Wiggly, where I bought most of my comics and I didn't find X-Men number one, but I found this and I bought it. And there, there's, you know, unlike Derek's X-Factor issue, like there's a lot going on in this. And even though I was familiar with the X-Men and characters and concepts, there, like, there is some stuff in here that I was like scratching my head over. And, you know, back then it's like, you know, if you didn't know who Trevor Fitzroy was, it's like the only thing you could do was like ask someone or, you know, maybe you got lucky and you could find like a back issue or or something like that like we didn't have any way of like instantly like you know going to like a wiki and being like oh trevor fitzroy is like this stupid doofus and you know his these are his powers and these are the issues that he appeared in so like i know i know like people want to say comics are you know like that's a problem with comics like there's just too much for new readers but like i i never found that daunting like if i didn't know 
like the white queen's history or like I, if I didn't know who Donald Pierce was or if I had questions about the Hellfire Club, like I wanted to read more comics and discuss. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I never found it to be frustrating. Yeah. The only time I found it frustrating was like if I couldn't find, you know, those comics. Like, like a good example, the next issue I think is Bishop's first appearance, and yeah. I didn't buy that. Like I couldn't find it for several years. That ago. that was, I mean, all these books were super. It's not that they were there were no low print runs like these sold millions and yeah. millions of copies, but they were at the time they were super sought after like like people can all point and laugh at me. But like, I mean, I, I bought more than one copy of this issue. Like they, you were basically like told, like, dude, this is gonna finance your college career, bro. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you, you should buy multiple copies of this, bro. <laughs> like it's gonna, it's gonna be worth big bucks one day. You know, like all this kind of stuff. Like, like I remember buying like probably two or three copies of this issue, and then I bought like the second printing that was like slightly tweaked. Like I don't know if it was gold or what the fuck it was, but there a was some those, other. A lot of those reprints did have like a gold background. Yeah, it was like either gold or it had some something was little off about the cover, like mm -hmm. where it sort of told you like this wasn't this wasn't the first print of it or whatever. And like the same thing is true of that first appearance of Bishop. For sure that had a reprint with a gold background, but that was that was highly sought after because people were like, dude, bro, Bishop, first appearance hot, you know, like all, all that kind of stuff. I, and yeah. I'm pretty sure the previous issue, like it's it's that's the one with the cover of like Cyclops holding Xavier, like his back is broken. I know yeah. that one for sure had a gold background variant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that that was like the sort of it was like a it ran through like all the titles and kind of finished off mm -hmm. the OG X Men as X Factor and kind of you know merged them all into the blue and gold teams and kind of led into that whole whole setup for the new new series. And you know, in your defense though, like and 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 me going on my old man tirade about <laughs> fucking X-Men comics and how fucking confusing they are and all this bullshit, like this is Trevor Fitzroy's first appearance. So if they didn't explain to you who he was and what his powers were it's either a mystery or that's on fucking them like this is <laughs> this is the era of like jim shooter was out the fucking door doing valiant comics and shit and the the editors now like this is a total like it's funny the art in this is great mm -hmm. the story in this is muddled messy and stupid <laughs> yeah and this is like the era of like this is this is an exemplary 90s comic book Dumbass Trevor Fitzroy, probably right up there with Jack of Hearts and how lame I think he is and Dr. Druid. Super lame, and my proof of this is super fucking peg warmer in the Toy Biz X-Men line. Yeah. Trevor Fitzroy, lame, dumb, <laughs> like Exodus, what the fuck are his powers, no one knows, <laughs> fuck you. Like, all this stuff, right? And on top of that... It's like he's got the 90s trope. He's the new like the, the all these guys are like the new Hellfire Club. They're they're like the new guys coming in poning the old established guys. And this was the comic that told me death was bullshit in comics. Like before this, I had read like you know, death in the family. And it was like, holy shit, Jason Todd died. You know, before this, we we're just talking about it, but you know, poor Batgirl was mutilated and she really fucking was mutilated. Right. Like it was horrible. Right. So you're like sitting there going like, I, as, as a young kid, like I, I didn't quite have that 
what was it, desensitivity to death and violence that you end up having being a longtime comics reader because you'll read things where people will die and then they come back next week. And in this case, this taught me immediately because Jean Grey, quote unquote, dies at the end of this. And then the next issue, she's back. So it was like, it kind of told me, don't count your chickens before they're hatched. Like, just because somebody says they're dead at the end of one panel doesn't mean that that's going to last until the next issue. It reminds me of the kid who who came to me in forensics class and was like, bro, I got the one where Robin died. And I'm like, oh, really? And I owned those and knew exactly what it was. And then when he showed it to me, it was an issue of Legends. It was the issue of Legends where Jason Todd gets like, pulled down by all the the rioters that are kind of mind-zonked by glorious godfrey and they beat the shit out of him and they beat the shit out of him to with an inch of his life and he's in the hospital but they didn't kill him you know what i mean like so it's interesting how you can you know if you if you don't read the whole story you know you'd think the same thing about like in this like like i know you're saying there's so much to, to deal with and everything but what's funny is a lot of the hellions that die in this stay dead but there's this big panel of like Emma Frost screaming and they're like, oh, no, the White Queen is dead. And it's like, dude, she's not dead. Like she's in a coma. And then like fucking three years later, she like takes over Iceman's body. And then she's joining like Generation X and is back in her own body and fighting the phalanx. Well, you know, and- like. Like not to cut in, but I just wanted to say, like you're you're to- like you describe like this is your everything you say is correct, and like I I had read this issue when I was younger, and I'll never forget I had like this X Men like price guide like for issues, and it was really super in depth with like w- describing what happened in every single issue, and I will never forget like the little blurb for this issue. Where it's like, you know, X-Men, like, first appearance of Trevor Fitzroy. And, like, one of the important notes was, death of beef. (laughs) 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 And, like, I I had read that before I actually read the issue. So I was kind of like, what the hell is is beef? (laughs) But, yeah, but, like, I, I remember reading it and I was like, oh, yeah, Trevor Fitzroy, he's, like, important. Like, you know, he's Bishop's, like, bad guy, like, because he was on the cartoon and whatever. And I'm like, I, I got to find this issue. And, yeah, like, you're, you're, everything you say is absolutely true. And I think since I, I was younger than you at the time, I probably took it all, like, deadly serious. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I think I, I think I was right on the cusp there. You know what I mean? Like, I think I think these were the books that trained me not to take it. You know, I think I think I had been taking things super serious or up until this point, because th- this probably was, you know, not in a like horribly like, you know, I don't know. Uh, it didn't scar me, you know, this comic didn't rape my childhood or whatever, you know, like all these kind of ridiculous statements. But I mean, it did sort of train me that like, oh, you know, that 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 just because they sell you one thing, you know, Jean Grey is dead forever. You know, like then it's like the next issue. She's not. We we're just kidding. You know, like like and it was like, I guess it just kind of, you know, the, like th- this is where some of the the kind of curmudgeon world weariness for being a longtime comics reader creeps in. And, and, and I think a lot of the tropes at the time, like, I don't think I noticed them, you know, like, like now I can see in hindsight, like, holy crap, like this is, you know, the, the upstarts, you know, who, who these new hellfire club guys become, right. It's, um, 
Shinobi Shaw and Trevor Fitzroy and and uh, I'm I'm trying to think of all these other assholes, but they you know they they even go after like Donald Pierce and the Reavers who I thought were lame, you know, but still like you're you're like sitting there kind of going well. The Reavers and Donald Pierce and Lady Deathstrike are way more established than yeah, these they, new kids on the block, but yet they get pwned, you know? So it's like it's like they're trying to make names for these new villains by having them, like, you know, take out the White Queen and take out Donald Pierce, like, take out all these old-school Hellfire Club guys and prove, like, dude, they have cred because they, they took out the old-school villains, but yet they didn't really earn any of this. It's like they just kind of show up and they're doing it, and it's like, to me, I'm like, well, this is, you know, you know, perfect example, you know, this is just like Doomsday beating the crap out of Darkseid, you know, it's like, it's like, you didn't earn that, but you, they have you do it anyway. You know, it just it just happens, you know, and people get pwned or whatever. And and so you're sitting there kind of going, well, I don't even know who these guys are, really. Like, I'm not really sure what their powers are. And this is kind of after, you know, Claremont was shown the door. So it's like, you you, you know, I guess for years, people were used to, you know, not only the, the Jim Shooter editor type stuff, but also the Claremontisms, where if you had like... 50 billion mutants on the page and you're like who the fuck is beef you know claremont would have been like beef real name fucking you know johnny beef or whatever the fuck his name is and these are his powers and and this is what he does and he he you know he hung out with uh firestar and all the hellions and and you know beef, real name you know, wellington right you know it's like whatever you know like so it's like you're sitting there kind of going well well all, when all that stuff went out the window you realize like just how confusing or daunting certain things can be and even me like i hadn't read this in a long time and i kind of knew i was like i knew for sure that gene gray wasn't really dead but i was sitting there kind of questioning myself i'm like i'm pretty sure like emma frost is not dead but let me just make sure and then and then i just kind of was like kind of flipping through some of these other issues kind of going like okay 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 she's in a coma she's in a coma and then there's like a random aside in like a new warriors annual where they all think she's dead but you realize the X-Men are just kind of taking care of her comatose and it stays that way for like, I want to say like almost three years. I mean, it was almost like it wasn't until like issue 314 where she does the thing with, um, with Iceman and takes over his body and uses his Omega level fucking spiky mutant powers or whatever, you know? And that was, you know, way, you know, it's like by that point, like to me, it's like, I, I remember buying this comic, you know, the Jim Lee stuff when I was in high school and, and walking to the comic store from from James Logan after I would get out of school or whatever and buying these books in mass, you know, and, and multiple copies and all this other stuff. And then by the time you get to Gen X, I mean, it was like, I think I was pretty much in college by that point, you know, like, so it was like, it, it was a while, like, that she was comatose and kind of out of the picture, you know, as far as that goes. And then you're kind of like, you know, what? Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I just, you know, I guess on on the plus side, like, while I have no respect for Trevor Fitzroy, I, I'm like now looking at some of these issues and even the issue that um, that you're bringing tonight, Mike, I kind of have a newfound respect for Shinobi Shaw because I'm a I'm a dirty male chauvinist or whatever, because I'm just like, oh, man, he's living it up, dude. Like, he's got all these chicks and, and, and this penthouse and, you know, his inheritance and all these sentinels and stuff. Like, you know, basically, like, the, the whole vibe of these guys was that they were these these rich, like, young, hot to trot, like, you know, kind of like these these Wall Street mogul mutant hating 
like dudes or whatever, you know? So I was just like sitting there going like, not, not necessarily like, I think he's a good human being or anything, but, but he's got that, you know, that movie Tony Stark appeal where you vicariously kind of was like, dude, I want to hang out in a hot tub with a bunch of chicks and like, you know, have a big penthouse and drive a Ferrari. That would be cool. You know, like, so it was like, I was kind of reevaluating him, but I mean, otherwise I, I think most of these guys are kind of, they, they, they have a limited stamp on Marvel history and I can't see anybody revisiting well, you know, them, you know, you cause know I, I don't, I don't think they left any lasting impression. I don't think. What I, what I found hilarious about our selection, like me and Justin's selections tonight is this is the first issue you get introduced to the upstarts and to show you how long the, like in the nineties, how long and like stretched out these plots are the issue I picked tonight, like issue 23 of X-Men, which takes place maybe like two years after this issue. It's like, they finally like discover who the upstarts are. Like, <laughs> Like that, like Gambit has that scene where he's with, you know, Shinobi Shaw and he's like, now we we've heard of you like the X-Men know of the upstarts and like, we're going to keep our eyes on you. And I'm like, what happened for the last two years? Like you just found out about them? Well, you know, they they were busy uh, uh, tending to Emma Frost and, you know, taking out her bedpans. So they were too busy to find out who the upstarts were, I guess. Oh, and like like you said, like, yeah, this is uh, the epitome of a 90s comic. I mean, think. Think of how many things are thrown at you in this issue, like Sentinels, like the new Sentinels that regenerate, like the Hellfire Club, the Upstarts, you know, the Hellions. And then on top of that, you got the X-Men, you know, and like, oh, man. But I mean, like I did read this when I was a kid and like like Justin, like I, I was probably more interested in finding out like what the hell was going on than like, you know, being yeah, confused yeah. or whatever. But yeah. Can can I ask a weird question? Like, like. What what do you what are your guys's feelings like? Because for me, the blue and I mean, I know there's a lot of nostalgia for say like the Fox X Men cartoon and that configuration of the X Men, and a lot of that in large part is the same as this Jim Lee era of X Men. But like, what what did you guys think of the way they broke up the blue and the gold teams? Like, was that a weird thing for you? Do you like? the the shift of characters like i i guess you know in terms of branding i get they were trying to get away from well here's the sylvestri x-men here's the simonson's x-factor og x-men we can't just have two x-men books and have them be essentially the same as x-men and x-factor were so like in this iteration the gold team is led by storm has colossus but then you've got all the og characters like iceman Archangel and Jean Grey. So like, and, and to me, that's like, you know, mixing your toys up wrong, I guess, but like, I get why they did it, but I'm just curious, like, wh what were your guys's perception of that? Like, th did that just seem normal to you? Cause it's like one of the earliest X-Men comics you bought. Like, did you kind of have an inkling of how the teams were before and still found it kind of uh, interesting or, or, or by this point, is it like, you know, I, I guess now, you know, whatever it is, 30 years later, it's just kind of like, you're like, oh, well, you know, the X-Men get shuffled all the time, and who cares? Like, I, I was just kind of curious about that. It, it seemed pretty natural to me. I think the questions I had was like, you know, where I read some of the, like, Outback era, I was like, well, we're, like, where's Dazzler and some of those guys? Like, where's Havoc? Like, what are they, what are they doing? Like, why aren't they showing up? Because I, like, 
you know, I was kind of invested in them. And then I was like, you know, I was like, okay, Colossus is with the this, you know, gold team. But I was like, well, where, where's Kitty Pride and where's Nightcrawler? Because I think I had, like, missed a bunch of issues and, like, I didn't really... I don't think I even knew where they went until, like, Excalibur, uh, until I discovered, like, Excalibur. And I was like, oh, they're over here. Okay, well, that makes sense. But I was like, well, why can't they just go back to being with the X-Men? Because I kind of I preferred that. Yeah, that was another book I remember was, I, I don't think I was peer pressured to read it, but I remember that was a huge deal at the time because it was like, dude, a new X-Men title and, and you can get in on the ground floor. Like like Excalibur was definitely one of those in the beginning where it was like, Excalibur 1, hot. You know, like, like, <laughs> like you know, it's going to get your kids through college, like buy it or whatever, you know, like that, that kind of well, nonsense. This, this was kind of the error i was being in, indoctrinated into x-men so i think i always kind of thought like oh they they have multiple teams like at the same time or whatever so i i kind of thought it was like normal almost like where i was like you know if i wanted to read about Iceman, i had to read uncanny and if i wanted to read about you know gambit i had to read you know just adjectiveless x-men or whatever and like i don't know like eventually i like when i started reading older stuff i was kind of like oh like you know, eventually, I thought, well, I mean, Jim Lee's X-Men number one, it kind of has them all as one big right, team. Right. So one it was, was kind of like, you know, that was a big deal for me, like where I was like, oh, yeah, now they have to split up. But like when the whole team gets together, it's a big like event, like Executioner's song or whatever. Right, right, yeah. right. But I, I, I think it, it's funny that um, <laughs> I, I thought it was funny that Colossus and Beef have a beef at the beginning <laughs> of this issue like, and they're beefy yeah and they're beefy yeah you know what no it is also funny i think when i was a kid i kind of thought of uncanny x-men as the like other book because mm-hmm. like you know like the jim lee x-men you know and eventually like andy kubert x-men was kind of like the big thing like back then and I, yeah, yeah like i kind of sure. i thought like and like uncanny x-men seemed like like the secondary book to me and then like later on i learned oh wait that's the original book and like like uh, like it didn't like occur to me that it had a higher number or whatever it just seemed like it was the like almost lesser book for a little while well but i mean i i guess i i can see that because they they took jim lee off that book and put him on you know the the adjectiveless book. So, I mean, in some ways, I mean that 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 seems to be what the people at Marvel wanted you to think, right? Like, I I think you just, I mean, I you know, it's not it's not like I'm like ha ha weak minded fool, you know, Java style or whatever. But I, <laughs> I I just think that's what anybody was supposed to think. Like that's how they spun it and sold it. It's like you know as a consumer you know as a teenage consumer or whatever you're supposed to be like oh yeah this this solo x-men book is a big deal and and again it's that notion of oh i can read a number one issue and get in on the ground floor and you know this is this is where the 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 hottest x-men artist of the day is going to be doing the art like i want to follow that book and and it, it, that doesn't take away from will sportatio because like his art is is was really one of those ones that people keyed in on too like that's why he was part of the image founders and everything i mean there were people that appreciated that i i kind of think one of the things that that links those though is like i i remember eventually like art to bear did solo issues of that, you know, 
adjectiveless X-Men book after Jim Lee had his exodus. And like you notice he does the inks on Wills Portatio's art here. So it's like there there is that link, I guess, in in styles where they wanted somebody who was you know, I, I'm I'm not saying you know Will's Portatio is not a Jim Lee clone, but I I think there was that notion of oh we want to get artists that you know kind of you know have a similar aesthetic and and thus Uncanny and Adjectiveless X Men will both have that same kind of aesthetic to them, even though they're not both drawn by Jim Lee. I I, I guess I was wondering like. Was this the first time you were introduced to a lot of the characters that were I mean I mean obviously like Trevor Fitzroy and Shinobi Shaw and stuff like these were new characters, right? But like I, I guess since you guys had you, you were telling me like you didn't really read much of the original X Factor, so did you guys know who Archangel was at this point? Like or it was it just another cast member like i i guess i'm I'm trying to wrap my head around things like that or like like did you know like that white queen and donald pierce were like old school x-men villains or were they just another swath of things that you were like oh who's this guy like i want to read more about him or find out who he is i don't think i knew much about the hellfire club until someone like clued me in about like you know angel becoming archangel like i knew about that because one of my friends at school had some of those issues, and then I think we kind of cobbled together like stuff we had heard from other people or, or something like that. It's like yeah, yeah. You heard it through the grapevine. It's like well, I heard blah blah blah, and we're just like oh wow, like we gotta we gotta find that issue and read it. And like there was a lot of like it's like if you know if your buddy didn't have an issue or if like a friend of a friend didn't have it, like sometimes we would all just kind of like pull together our comics at lunch yeah, or like before yeah. school, and like we'd be like you know, open our backpacks and just throw down a stack of comics and we're just like, okay, here's what I've got today. Like, this is new and this is new. And like, I'm like, look, I found this and this has something about like um, Angel losing his wings or, or whatever. And that's how, that's kind of how we would feel in our gaps and stuff. But like, I think some of that older X-Men stuff, like, you know, when it became like, you know, all new, all different and Phoenix and Dark Phoenix, like, I think, I think it was like a few years later and, until like I read some of that stuff and that filled in like all those Hellfire Club gaps in my mind. Like, I, I think that's kind of what I was getting at when I would say I was peer pressured to read X-Men because you'd, you'd have those powwows with people and mm-hmm. like the, 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 the friends of mine that I grew up with in grade school and middle school and stuff like they were really into the X-Men you know, so it was like, I, I, I mean, if, if I wasn't buying them myself, I was looking at someone's copy of the Sylvestri issues with the brood, or I was checking out, you know, somebody's copy of, you know, Juggernaut or the Fall of the Mutants or whatever it was. So, like, even if maybe I didn't personally own some issues, I kind of knew what was going on and stuff. And you, you did kind of feel weird where it's like, okay, well, we're going to, you know, read everybody's comics and i was the guy like i got x factor and everybody else is like well i got the x-men and it's like <laughs> when like three other dudes have the x-men you're like oh i guess i should I guess i should be buying this too because everybody else is buying it you know type thing it, so sometimes it was kind of funny because it was like you know sometimes your interests didn't always line up with your friends so like i'd i'd have like a bunch of star trek comics and i'd be like look this mm. issue like spot goes back to tell us four like that's awesome and everyone's like 
oh, I don't see what the big deal is. I'm like, but that's like Captain Pike in the cage, and like you don't get it. And just like, yeah, I think I think like that. Yeah, some of my early things that I keyed in on that I liked that I don't think necessarily other people read were like you know I started out reading G.I. Joe and Transformers and then Spider-Man and then dovetailed into other stuff but like I, I don't particularly remember a lot of other people reading Silver Surfer you know and I loved Silver Surfer but it's like I don't particularly remember a bunch of people kind of being like dude Silver Surfer you know because it was like it wasn't X-Men you know like that it was just like one of those things where that was always you know, and I, I almost, you know, feel like it, it always was and always will be, even though I think they kind of really screwed over the X-Men in recent years, like, which I think damaged their longstanding popularity, which I, I think if you told young me what happened to the X-Men today, like, I would have never believed it. You know what I mean? Like, I would have never believed that, like, they would get thrown under the bus or, you know, because of movie rights and all this other stuff they would downplay you know fantastic four and the x-men and all that i was just like are you are you serious like to me i'd just be like oh well the x-men were always like popular like i i i was always confounded like to me i i mean i lived in an era where the x-men comics were popular but there were no cartoons and there were no movies and i was always like why don't they make a cartoon of this? Like, like when, when, when the Pride of the X-Men came out, I was like, I've been saying this for years, you know, like, why, why aren't they doing it? You know, like that kind of thing. So, yeah. Mm-mm. This be some spread. Gambit not going to be playing solitaire tonight. Gambit, what are you doing over here, talking to yourself in the third person? And what's all this food? Oh, Professor, Gambit have plans tonight. Once Cher shows up, Gambit gonna wine and dine her. Then we gonna listen to Fan Holes, the pop culture podcast made for the fans by the fans. Fan Holes? I'll not have my school turned into a den of debauchery and science fiction trivia. No, Gambit. You'll just have to perform your obscene mating rituals elsewhere. Uh-oh. Sound like the professor getting a little cranky. Gambit think it's time for you to go to bed. What? What are you... Ow! Unhand me at once! Unhand me, you swamp-fed ignoramus! Relax, Mona me. Gambit just gonna tuck you in real nice. X-Men, emergency help! Curse you, fan holes! Hey, don't mess with the fan holes! Weekly content on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fanholespodcast.blogspot.com That damn song is stuck in my head now. Thanks a lot, Pete Holmes. My mind!
All right. Well, I guess we'll we'll move on to the the previously disclosed and aforementioned Mike's book, which is X Men twenty three. But go ahead and give us the down low on X Men twenty three, so we can we can break it on down. Okay. Uh, this, like you said, it's X Men twenty three with a cover date of August nineteen ninety three. It's a dollar twenty five. I think it went up a quarter. It's written by Fabian Nicieza, uh, penciled by Andy Kubert, inked by Mark Pennington. Colored by Joe Rosas, lettered by Bill Oakley, and Bob Harris is the editor, and Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. And uh, this story is called Leaning Towards Oneself. I just stole the synopsis from UncannyXMen.net, who, who have a lot of like good like synopsis of issues. Like they, they have a brief synopsis of this issue, and then like a more in-depth synopsis, which I'm which is super long, and I'm not going to read that one. I'm just going to read the brief one. The grammar is okay enough, I guess. Like, I might have to, uh, like, yeah. you know, but, yeah. But let me let me read the summary for the issue, and then we'll talk. In Alaska, Mr. Sinister surprises Scott and tells him of Strife's final revenge against Scott and Gene, the release of the Legacy Virus. As Cyclops asks Sinister at his comment on his brothers, plural, the Dark Riders appear and attack the two. Sinister surprises everyone by taking out Foxbat and showing that he could win the battle against the Dark Riders by himself if he wanted. Having gained their respect, Sinister orders the Riders not to kill Scott, but tells them he said nothing about not roughing him up. As Sinister teleports away, the Dark Riders attack Cyclops. After Cyclops holds his own in a fight, Hard Drive appears and stops the battle. Cyclops, still angry about the Dark Rider's hand in making him send his son into the future, accuses them of starting the very same war they are testing him for. As they teleport away, Barrage tells Cyclops that they knew what they were doing. In Japan, Lord Nyorin explains to the X-Men that Shinobi Shaw and Matsuo are responsible for Ravanj and Psylocke's merging of minds and abilities. Gambit and Beast then head off to Tokyo, where they give Shaw a message to to send to the upstarts. The X-Men now know that they exist. At the same time, Psylocke and Revanche find Matsuo at the house in Japan, where they are attacked by him. The two women easily defeat Matsuo, and both using their psi powers have their revenge for his manipulation of them. In Xavier's mansion, he and Wolverine discuss Wolverine's recent trip to the Savage Land, and the evidence he has discovered of Magneto's return. So yeah, that's the brief summary, and it's kind of out of order of how things happen in the issue, but that's basically everything that happens in the issue. And uh, yeah, this is like, you know, dead, again, uh, like dead set in the middle of Impenetrable-ville for X-Men, basically. (laughs) Like, you know, this... This this happened. This issue was set like more or less right after they just had Executioner's song, and uh, you know there it was still up in the air whether Strife or Cable was really you know Cyclops and Madeline Pryor's son, and uh, you know the, this is the start of the Legacy virus, and then yeah, it's like the, it's like and then they're leading into Fatal Attraction, yeah, and, all that and, stuff. and then yeah. like Mag- Magneto's coming back, and then you have the, you know Psylocke and Revanche. You know, uh, you know, they're trying to like do that whole thing. And then, like I said, like I, I like I was astonished to like reread this and then like look at Justin's issue. And I was like, oh, holy crap. Like that was like the first like mention of the upstarts. And this is like 
almost a year and a half later and gambit's finally like who these upstart guys like what the <laughs> <laughs> sure, like, we found out who the upstarts are it's like they still haven't figured it out but yeah but um I mean, I I loved this issue as a kid because obviously I like Cyclops and Cyclops is on the cover fighting like the Dark Riders. And, you know, he kind of gets to be a badass and like fend them off for a while. You know, I kind of like, you know, it also kind of established that I kind of like Mr. Sinister as a bad guy. And like, you know, he kind of seemed like Cyclops' arch nemesis. And like, you know, they kind of have a like cool like talk with each other and you know this is of course the infamous first mention of a third summer's brother yeah so like that this this issue has a lot of important like sort of miles extreme forever bro extreme can i talk about that for a minute yeah sure i didn't believe this issue existed for several years like (laughs) the whole like you know brothers plural thing like because like you know me and my friends we were still into reading x-men but somehow this issue eluded us and I remember a kid coming to school and saying, you know, someone he knew had this issue and like apparently there's like a third summer's brother. And I was like, what? Like, I don't believe that. He's like, it's true. You know, like a little kid's like, I, I swear it's true, man. Like so and so who knows so and so told me. I was like, get out of here. That's not true. So I think it was actually like, I don't know, a year, year and a half later that like I finally found this issue and got it. And I was like, oh, this is real. Like the there is a third summer's brother i was like oh i was wrong you were like oh yeah i was like oh there's a third summer's brother somewhere so can i can i play armchair psychiatrist like when i read this for tonight and i i had read it before but when i'm rereading it i'm like oh this is totally the origin of young mike like being exposed to rival fusion because like if if that image of the kubert image of sinister standing side by side with cyclops before the dark riders are about to attack the both of them is not the fucking textbook definition picture of rival fusion <laughs> like i do not know what is because this is so like rival fusion indeed like, yeah this is definitely yeah. one of those instances that like you know formed my love of that trope yeah and i was like i was like it kind of made me appreciate this issue way more than i ever had because i was like it's like i guess you have to understand from my perspective like inferno is probably the end-all be-all of x-men crossovers and i kind of hated that it's like oh i didn't really get blown into atoms at the end of that that was just a hoax or whatever and i'm like what like no man like like you really did like what are you what are you talking about you know and then i guess i kind of the dark riders and the nasty boys like i don't know if i just conflate those two or you know it's just a bunch of random assholes who i don't care about like so it's <laughs> like it's like those guys like i i don't know what like i just can't you know i mean i guess the nasty boys have the advantage of they were like animated right i don't think did they ever animate the dark riders in anything i don't oh, think so T- tusk was in an episode of x-men the animated series okay, you know that okay. episode where cyclops went to that strange town that was like run by the toad and like solar or whatever okay okay yeah, but the others i don't think they were not not really yeah so I kind of feel the same way about the Nasty Boys and the Dark Riders. I think I just kind of conflate them. I'm just like, wait, aren't you on... Uh, who cares? 
Yeah, for for a minute, I was like, "Is Sinister fighting his own men?" And then I was like, yeah. mid midway through, I was like, "Oh wait, no, these are these are Apocalypse's nameless dumb fucks who I don't care about. <laughs> like, not Sinister's nameless dumb fucks." But who it, I don't it's care funny because like it's like, and then they would retcon that like Apocalypse or Sinister works for Apocalypse, and then it's like you know. It was like, uh, you're fighting my boss's guy's boss's guy. Like, you know, it gets all, like, tangled up. But yeah, yeah. You know, you know what I noticed that made me, like, crack up? Like, freaking, like, when the fight ends, like, you know, Cyclops gets his glasses knocked off. And when the fight ends, freaking the guy named Barrage is like, here's, like, Summers, I got your glasses. And then I'm like, Barrage doesn't have any fucking hands. How did he hand those to him? Like, he has those, like, blasters or whatever for hands. Like... I don't know, like, that just cracked me up, because it's, like, literally, like, a, a a panel of Cyclops putting his glasses back on, and Barrage, like, saying, well, here, I found your glasses, and I'm like, how'd you pick those fucking things up? You've got freaking, like, you know, stumps <laughs> for hands. Sinister did some quick, on-the-fly genetic modifications. It's because it's survival of the fittest. Like, all Apocalypse's, you know, henchmen have to be able to pick up glasses, even if they don't have hands. Like, yeah, yeah, but yeah, the the Dark Riders, I mean, like, this did not, like, it, no matter what else in this issue, this issue did not endear me to them. <laughs> yeah, but I, 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 it's still kind of, it, it's one of those cool things because the the Dark Riders are not a great set of villains, but they're, they're, they have vast numbers, so it is, it is a cool imagery to see Cyclops basically on his own, but sort of with Sinister. You know what I mean? Like, like it's like it's the two of them facing a horde of guys, even if they're a bunch of kind of 90s, you know, wannabes or whatever. It's like it's still kind of impressive that Cyclops is holding his own against all these dudes, right? So, like, there's there's that aspect to it. And I'm not, like, horribly offended if the Dark Riders come off as douchebags or dumb, right? Because I have no you know, I, I have no horse in the race for them. You know, it's like the horse in the race for me is seeing Cyclops, you know, hold his own and, you know, basically go toe to toe with Mr. Sinister and have a nice little verbal repartee and all this other stuff. And then, and then, you know, basically even once Sinister leaves, like Cyclops still basically is like, look, I'm, I, you know, I'm still going to whoop all your asses or whatever and like that's kind of you know and, and i kind of like the bit at the end where they kind of say like it's like cyclops leans on who he always leans on himself you know like it's like it's like i i don't know why but sometimes i'm kind of like yeah i've been there <laughs> you know like like where, where the only dude you have to depend on is yourself but it's like it's nice that i guess too it, i mean it, it, it's a ways off it's like a year year or so off i think but like there, there is that hint or notion where it's like oh well at some point he's gonna have gene gray to lean on on and and she's gonna be his wife and all that other kind of stuff so it kind of made me think of things like that too some of the some of the subplots, I mean, you know, like like this stuff in X-Men always will be, you know, it's like there's a lot of kind of ongoing A, B, C, D, Z kind of subplots that are going on. But again, you know, th this kind of helped me reevaluate Shinobi Shaw, where I was like, dude, I want that swanky penthouse and all those chicks in my hot tub. Like, that's pretty sweet. You know, that that's pretty cool. And, you know, the 
moment where like Gambit and Beast enter. I'm kind of like right there with Beast where, you know, he's like, Mona me, you know, uh, I would like some champagne that you give the guests. And Beast is kind of like, I would like to partake in some of those lovely ladies, if you don't mind, you know, like that kind of thing where I'm like, okay, I, I see where everybody's head's at. And it's like, you know, th- I don't know. All that stuff is kind of, I mean, I'm sure today people might poo poo that or whatever, but like, I, I was like, oh, that's all in good fun. I'm fine with it. You know, like they, they, they didn't mean anything, you know, horribly offensive by it or anything like that so i'm like oh you know this is you know the 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 revanche and psylocke thing like gets a little like that to me seems kind of like one of these things that like it's it's like uh the 90s version of john byrne clever clevering things like like it's something that they felt the need to explain that probably didn't need to be explained like that probably i mean i could be wrong here but i'm like i I don't think too many people cared about that but it's like it seems like a large in-depth explanation for something that probably didn't need the explanation but it's like i guess it exists you know it's there it's like what happened to the body some the 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 actual assassin quanon is in betsy's body and she's in quanon's body like I don't know, to date this or to bring it, like, up to current stuff? Like, does that mean that, like, does Quanon still even exist, like, when they gave Psylocke her British body back now? Or I Like, Revanche eventually died of the legacy virus, so, like, I, I don't know what happened there. And I don't, like, I don't know exactly how Betsy got her old body back, like, in current stuff, but... Hmm, okay. Yeah, the, I don't know. I don't. This is something I wanted to bring up, and I made it my avatar. Like, like I read this when it was new, and I was probably about eight or nine when it came out. And like, I don't. Maybe my. I mean, I was. I I read a lot of stuff like as a kid, and like, but maybe my. Maybe it was just a sign of how like you know like I was saying dense and impenetrable this was sometimes or difficult to follow, but. I could have sworn that scene with Wolverine where he's like stalking away and his eyes are all red. Like they're talking about how Magneto's coming back and Jubilee's all scared. And she's like, Oh man, like we can't beat him. Can we? And rogues like, no, we can't like as a kid, I thought they were talking about Wolverine. And like, I thought that Wolverine's red eyes meant he was going evil or something. And like rogue and Jubilee were like scared of him. That's kind of that's kind of hilarious because that was what Claremont originally wanted to do before he got kicked off the title, pretty much, yeah. or left it. So but it's like I couldn't remember. I was like, "What is Wolverine going to like turn evil? Like, is that why they're all scared of him? Is that why his eyes are red? Like, what what what's going on here?" And like, speaking of things we thought of as a kid, like, well, like, well, not thought of, but like, I know, like, my circle of friends, we always said revanche instead of revanche. I don't think like we understood yeah i'm pretty sure i always said like revanche or something you you know what's hilarious is like if you if you look now on like all these pronunciation videos like i think like if you google it like there's like three or four of them and they're all different like that's what cracks (laughs) me up it's like it's like i think there's one that actually says like how to pronounce marvel character names and i think that one is like revanche but like i i remember there was one that's like revanche you know, revanche, revanche. I just, you know, yeah, like, I so just kind of try like, and what? say it with like a French accent, like revanche. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 
but <laughs> it's like I'm British. I'm not even French. Yeah. Then why is your name French? Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, like I, I still like no matter what I misinterpreted or I couldn't understand or whatever, I still like loved this issue as a kid because like, you know, I bought it when it was new. It like focused on a favorite character of mine. Yeah, like the fight was really cool, even though like, you know, they kind of like pan away a lot, bunch of times and whatever. But, you know, and like I, I probably like at this time and at the age I was, it seemed like like the X-Men comics were and like, you know, it's, it's you can laugh about it now, but it seemed like they were really building towards something huge. And it's like, you know, like the Dark Riders are saying there's going to be a war coming, you know, mm. Cyclops, and you're going to be, you know, at the forefront of it. And then there was like the legacy virus, like it, like is, is mutant, are the mutants are all going to die of the legacy virus. And like all of this stuff seemed like huge when I was a kid. But then, you know, when you grow up and you read a lot of comics and then you're like, well, like every era there's something like this like yeah. where it's huge and you know there's something far off and you know it's gonna eventually happen and it's never like as big as you think it was gonna be or like you know as, as long lasting as you think it was gonna be but that, that's what's funny like you talk about the upstarts and how long it took and i was talking about you know white queen being comatose and how long that took to resolve but like even some of the things that you mentioned they dropped the seeds for i mean holy fuck the third summer's brother thing like i mean that dragged on forever and then yeah. when it was when it was revealed to be extreme nobody believed it and then it got dragged on all the way into like 2006 with vulcan and all this other <laughs> stuff so they still were picking up threads from this like you know like 10 years later or yeah. whatever and like and then and then you look at like you know things like what you were talking about like that you know the legacy virus that that was an ongoing subplot that went on and on and on and on and on and on and on you know like it went on forever and like and then the um what was the other thing oh the thing you were talking about with like there's going to be a war there's going to be a king and this and that like i mean you know to me i feel like that's like dropping the seeds for like the 12 and like that wouldn't yeah. wouldn't happen for like another 10 years too like yeah. it's just yep. like you're you're like holy crap like they really really you know did all that stuff and i i guess i find it interesting that like to, to me i always the thing that you know how justin said he didn't believe this issue existed <laughs> like the thing the thing i never really bought into and and rereading this for this episode, I kind of see where people were getting it from. But like, I, I for the longest time, there was always that theory that Gambit was somehow the third Summer's brother, uh -huh. and I was always like, <laughs> where the fuck do people get that from? Like that that made no sense to me. But it's funny, like I guess if you look at this as a single issue, and you realize like you know looking at it as the thing I always complain about with like you know Jeff Loeb mysteries where he doesn't even bother to like set you up you know, like like you should at least have the murderer in the goddamn story you know he can't just like come out of left field on a parachute like it's like it's like you can't be like who murdered mickey mouse and you're like is it donald is it goofy and then all of a sudden you know in a jeff Loeb mystery it's like fucking big bird parachutes in at the end it's like ha, i killed mickey you know and you're like that's not fucking fair like what we weren't even looking at the sesame street characters this is bullshit you know but like so so i i was thinking about this issue and i'm like well you know gambit is in this issue where 
the brothers drop. You know what I mean? So I was like, uh, I guess maybe I was a little harsh because because if you go along that train of thought, you're like, oh, well, maybe he's a potential suspect because he's in the same issue where it was dropped and it's the same writer and all that other, you know, like I was like, oh, maybe, you know, whatever. But you guys know me. I'm like extreme forever, you know, or whatever, even though I love Vulcan. Like, I think he's a great character. But I was like, come on, man. Claremont Claremont went in that direction when he did X-Men The End. Like, but Mm. then again, you know. But that time it was like what that came out wow. in like two thousand and five or six. Or yeah, he did. Three. He did. And man, that that I mean, I, I'm I'm not wrong, right? Like that, those were horrible. I, like I just reread it about a month or two ago, and yeah, that's freaking atrocious. It, like, yeah, is that the comic you guys told me about years ago, where like Sabretooth comes in, and he's like, "They killed my boy." <laughs> no, but that's no atrocious. Um, like, no, that was uh, X Men Forever, which is oh, like, okay. Claremont's yeah. Regeneration One, like X Men: The End, is kind of like Claremont's. Uh, uh, I, I don't know a good comparison. It's it's like it's like um, what is it like? It's it's like uh, what is it like? Uh, the the uh, the Avengers. Um, what was the Peter David thing Last in the future Avenger story? Last Avenger story. It's kind of like it's kind of like you know the end for the you know what I mean like like okay. it's it's like that it's like the last X Men story basically. But of course, since it's Claremont, the last X Men story turns into like three twelve issue maxi series <laughs> that like are it, uh, yeah it's. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, like, if you read it in mass, like, you'll just be like, what is this? And like, oh, my God, it's like it's, it's like data drinking prune juice. You're like, this is horrible. Yeah. More, please. It's like, you know, it's like, like, it's like, OK, Mr. Sinister is Gambit's father, but he also used like Cyclops's DNA in Gambit's creation. So Gambit is the third Summers brother and also Mr. Sinister's son. And he looks exactly like Mr. Sinister. So then when Mr. Sinister, Mr. Sinister dies, Gambit can pose as him and like infiltrate the Shi'ar for some godforsaken reason. <laughs> and like, uh, like it was. Uh, it's yeah, it, it, yeah, it's 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 pretty awful. But yeah, this is uh, this is a fun sort of trip down memory lane. I mean, I know I know I kind of go off and get all grumpy old man about all the complications with X Men, and I guess you're, you're never going to get away from that, you know. But uh, I'm I'm just happy I can sort of piece it all together even now, you know. Even though it's like I guess it's like what Justin is saying. It's like either you're you're you know you're either into Pokemon enough that you want to go out and memorize all the characters' names, or you're not. You know what I mean? Like that. That's kind of you know, it's the same thing with comics. If like you're not interested, then it's going to be confusing and daunting forever. But if you're if you're into it, you know, or you feel like making the time and effort for whatever franchise it is, you'll you'll kind of sit there and try to figure it out. But it's like you know, even even I have my limits. I'm not going to fucking memorize the goddamn Dark Riders names or anything. You know, so it's like I know Tusk because he had an action figure and he was on the cartoon in one episode. And I always remember Foxbat because that's a stupid ass name. Like, but but yeah, but I noticed this time Barrage. I'll remember Barrage now because because he had the hand when he doesn't have hands. He has no hands, and yeah, but he still got Cyclops. I I feel like I feel like that's a cable arm thing. You know, it's like he he has a hand, he doesn't have a hand. And then uh, there's the green guy who's the leader, but I don't remember his name. Who's the skull kind of face looking guy with the look? 
He's got like three different things at once. He's like a skull green skinned eye patch guy with guns. Like he's like a zombie ninja pirate samurai. Or something. I, I think basically what we're saying is we we don't need any Marvel Legends of the Dark Riders no, or, do, the, or, or the or 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 the Nasty Boys. Like we that that's not no. that's not a high priority for us. No. But I mean, uh, the I was gonna say at least the art's great. Like Andy Kubert, yeah, like yeah. you know, doing his you know best best stuff. And I mean, it's Fabian Nicieza who I mean, I usually like his writing. It's just like you know, the era this was. It was kind of unrestrained, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess you have to admire like the fact that like a lot of these guys were, you know, it, I I don't know. There, there's no nice way to put it, but it's like they're they're getting like you know, the image boys sloppy seconds with the, the popular Marvel titles. But I mean, I, I, I feel like they, they probably had enough faith in Fabian Nicieza because he was basically, you know, pulling all the weight or picking up the slack that was going on with all the, like the X-Force book, basically. Because it's like, you know, you had all this frenetic, wacky Liefeld ideas, but the guy that was basically dialoguing it and trying to make some semblance of a story out of it was Fabian Nicieza, you know? So I, I, I guess, you know, the thinking probably was, Hey, can you, can you come try to do that with what we, what we've inherited with X-Men, you know, cause all our talent has left at this point, you know, and they're, they're basically trying to get new talent to come in and, and pick up where, you know, Jim Lee and all these other guys left off, you know? So it's like, you know, and I, and I, I, I kind of find that admirable, you know, like where it's like, you're like, Oh, you know, this is a pretty, I mean, you know, yeah, it's X-Men and yeah, it's daunting. And, and there's a bunch of, you know, stuff that, you know, for a first time reader would leave them scratching their heads. But I mean, you know, he, it's not like, you know, I mean, he, he, he has a lot of the characters voices down. I feel like he writes a good Cyclops. He writes a good sinister when Wolverine does show up, you know, for the couple panels, it's like that all seems to be on par. It's like he writes Jubilee well. And you know, like you feel all the characters have distinct voices and he's setting up a lot of these, these tennis balls that he's juggling, you know, whether it's fatal attraction or cleaning up the, the end of the executioner song. Like this is kind of a, epilogue for the executioner song and kind of a prequel for fatal attractions you know so it's like he's got a lot of things that he's balancing and then you know of course if you're a fan of cyclops like me and mike are i mean this is essentially a pretty good cyclops like kind of solo spotlight you know so it's like like if if you know if this was like an idw comic it'd be like spotlight cyclops you know or whatever you know and you're like this is you know this is a pretty good issue Director Fury, the internet is besieged with lame, lifeless podcasts. What we need is a hard-charging, foul-mouthed band of brothers with chemistry, big brains on comics, and personality. Personality goes a long way. What we need is the Marvel Superheroes Podcast. I'm a legal machine. Diabolu Frank. And I am Mr. Fixit. The Marvel Superheroes have arrived! Nick, internet radio is saved! Get this motherfucking podcast off motherfucking iTunes. The Marvel Superheroes podcast can also be found on Shout Engine, Stitcher, the Internet Archive, and on Rolled Spine Podcasts blogs. Cool. Well, I, I think that wraps up our coverage of Spinner Rack X-Men comics for tonight. If you guys have any 
comments, questions, and or concerns, you can reach us at fanholspodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to check out the backlog of our episodes, they're over on the fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. We've got all kinds of shows. In addition to comics, motherfucker, do you read them? We have all kinds of other podcasts. We've got Mobile Suit Mondays. Sentai Saturdays, Toku Thursdays, Transformers Tuesdays. We've got Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast. We've got Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. And, of course, the Fanholes podcast proper. And we are on all kinds of social media, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, etc. We appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, retweets, feedback. And you can stream us on Stitcher Radio, and we can be found on iTunes. So I think that's going to wrap it up for tonight. So this is Derek. Derek WC. This watch, it's been magnetized. Signing off. Hey, it's Mike, and I am the fourth Summers brother. And this is Justin. Signing off. Cool. I shoot energy out of my armpits. Or something, I don't know. We shall name him Pitstain. Pitstain. Pit yeah, I think I'd rather have a Pitstain Marvel Legend than a Trevor Fitzroy. be on a cover like shooting lasers out of my armpits and like the cover like dresses like cry pit stain or something. <laughs> and then your little price guide will say like X-Men number 15 pit stain mutilated. Yeah. Pit stain is mutilated. <laughs> Staining your pits is the coolest.